Welcome to Field Trials, a future farming webcast exploring innovations, issues, and perspectives in new farm technology. This is Matt, your Canadian farm kid and journalist host. Thanks for tuning in. It can be hard to slow down when the growing season gets rolling, but that's what has to happen when autonomous machines are involved. Today's conversation is with Dustin Burns, a Canadian farmer who has been working with Raven's OmniPower platform for several years. We discuss his experiences, why he's interested in autonomy in the first place, and how machines like OmniPower fit his drive for precision and soil health. All right, Dustin, thanks for uh, thanks for having a chat here. Uh, appreciate your time, and you're coming to us from uh, Winyard, Saskatchewan. I'm saying that correctly? Yes, Eastern Saskatchewan. Yes. Excellent. Yes. And with Windley po Windy Poplar Farms, that's a family operation. Um, I think there's a fair number of you. Uh, maybe we can just start before we dive into this uh, and talking about some of your experiences. Uh, uh, perspectives with autonomous stuff. Just give us a bit of a background on the farm. Uh, I was doing a little internet skulking, um, checking out some of the stuff that uh, other articles you've uh, uh, been uh, highlighted in and, and, and actually your, your own farm website. You guys seem to grow quite a range of things. Give us a little mm -hmm. bit of background and what made you interested in kind of the autonomous platform, autonomous equipment space to begin with? Sure. So, yeah, we farm by Winyard or the Big Quill Lakes here in kind of south central Saskatchewan or along Highway 16. And we we're a farm that uh, began with my parents and um, my wife and I came back 20 years ago. And uh, then a good friend of mine that kind of was involved in the farm um, growing up and was a kind of a childhood friend of mine and family friend. Their families were friends with our family. He he didn't have an opportunity with his farm, so uh, that's uh, Doug Reeve. He joined the far farm a few years after we came back, and uh, he and his family. And uh, and then my brother Tyler came back. Um, I think that was around 2007 or so, and his wife Janelle. And then they've got four kids as well. So that's kind of the the base of our the family part that's involved in the farm. Of course, there's there's I. Tyler and I have other siblings, so there's other family, but they're not, um, they don't have ownership. But uh, one of the things we, uh, we are trying to do on the farm as we transition from my parents to our generation is very intentional processes. And so we've, we've moved to uh, full family uh, meetings that keep everybody informed and kind of help them have a role. We have a philanthropy group. We do some uh, donations locally and and uh um through the the school with in the form of scholarships and we've so we've involved the family at a broader scale in that way and uh, kind of to create through that process with the family meetings we've also created um, policy around how the generation after us get to come back to the farm um because there's of course those that aren't my kids or tyler's kids or doug's kids that might be interested and so we've spent a lot of time on that and uh, and so our farm is, uh, is we try to do things through great thought and, um, and intention, not just out of accident. And, and so that falls into what you see with our uh, crop and our crop rotations. We, uh, a farm of our size, I think it's unusual to see um, all the different crops, perennial crops, as well as, as annual crops, and then the broad of broadness of annual crops so it's not uh you know we grow everything from winter wheat spring wheat barley oats canola of course uh, but we also have flax in the rotation and peas 
uh, alfalfa seed, alfalfa for hay production. We feel very strongly that those and grass seed production, those perennials create, uh, you know, help build the soil and uh, create uh, breaks in cycles, disease cycles and in crops, uh, insect cycles. Um, you know, alfalfa as a taproot does great things to, to uh, breaking through hard pans and creating uh, vertical movement of nutrients and moisture and that kind of thing. So we've made connections with dairies around the province to sell. We, you know, our alfalfa is not a, it's, we treat it as a cash crop in that we, you know, we try to get best quality and, and we sell most of it. We do have a small cattle herd of our own and that's mostly to make use of some more marginal land of ours, but also, you know, just kind of completes the picture for us. We'd like to grow that, but, uh, and we just recently, hired a, a cattle manager we think that can make that happen with us so um so yeah we're, we don't uh and i guess as how this kind of ties into autonomy and just that picture uh, we do lots of work with lots of manufacturers as well as well as seed companies for fertilizer companies as and and trials um because we believe we have a role as producers in the industry to help kind of uh, progress development of different technologies and uh, different systems. We use lots of, um, you know, there's talk about uh, uh, big ag and the, and the, what it contributes to uh, carbon and nitrous oxides and that kind of thing. We use lots of um, delay release fertilizers. We believe strongly in placing fertilizer at the right time in the right place. We use prescription maps, um, all these things because we, we not only because we see benefit, but for ourselves, for as a business, but because we believe that that's where things are going to go, and it, and we have the, uh, I guess, the dexterity in our business to to adapt. We believe um, we we sell grains into uh, different markets. New, we're not def, we're not organic farmers by any means, but we definitely have you know there's a demand for non glyphosate. Mm-hmm. Um, cr- crops, you know, we grow all our, none of our oats get pre-harvested. Like, uh, identity protects soybeans and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't have any soybeans on this farm, but, but yeah, yeah we little, do. I guess I, I'm coming from the far, far south here. So I, I get, I get a little bit, uh, a little corn and soybean bias in me, but, but for yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, and, and the other thing our, our, our vast crop rotation gives us is just, um, we don't see the the influx of herbicide resistant weeds. We're not having to use, we're not having to move to um, crops that allow us to apply heavier rates and and mm-hmm. uh, more often rates to manage uh, weed pressure because we have such uh, a vast variety of of controls through our cropping me- uh, mechanisms and. Um, we are very intentional about our seed rates because that you know a good good thick crop is the best uh, way to combat weed pressure through the growing season. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, so I don't know if that, that's a good enough uh, introduction, but yeah, we, we basically are, are, are passionate about ag and really want to get involved where we can make a difference. And one of those places is uh, with autonomy and what we've done with we started out with dot but now is through raven is omnipower and uh, so we've had well, i guess this was our fourth season this last year with omnipower oh so i um, i didn't realize you had been using it for for that long that's that's interesting yeah um yeah so what what i'm kind of hearing so and i imagine 
not to put words in your mouth in your mouth here, but the um, the the diversity of crops that you're working with that's probably got to factor into things as well, I would think. But I'm hearing like precision, right? I mean, you're talking about four hour nutrient management, and you know, yep. look, getting into the the you know the the climate impact conversation, which is which is a, a very very complex and enormous enormous conversation to have. Um, a lot of emphasis on precision. Uh, efficiency in general i mean you, there's a lot of people involved in the farm but we still have to be efficient of labor so kind of like checking all those normal boxes but is um i guess what was what was the thing that kind of made you go okay let's go let's talk to this company and say why are, why were you interested in that particular platform or um what prompted you to to make that connection in the first place was there a like a specific challenge you were having or was it just a general interest and an opportunity kind of uh, arose yeah, so the the long term challenge that we're facing, and I think most of of uh, well the the pro, the prairie pro, well maybe the world is is labor shortage, right? Yeah, and uh, we're we're really feeling the pinch right now here, and it's um, um, we've had our our, our two most uh, optimistic options going forward for hiring a couple of people are from. Uh, other countries in the world, right? We're, we're not, we're having a hard time finding local people that want to be involved. So that is definitely a key part of it. Um, and so, and the other part is um, being more efficient with our time, right? So the, my experience with running an autonomous machine is, first of all, we haven't, just to make sure everybody's clear, we haven't got to the level or the industry hasn't been got to the level where it's actually creating us. Um, there's no, there, we haven't hit it. Actually, this fall, I first uh, hit some levels of where I gained efficiency. I was managing my um, manually operated drill and and the uh, dot platform and the Raven uh, OmniPower platform from my tractor cab while seeding winter wheat this fall. And that, so right there, I had two units I was managing from one cab right and so that was the first you know it took us three years almost four years to get to that point so progress is definitely being made um the other thing that we've we've worked with is uh broadcasting fertilizer in front of a drill so we don't do a lot of fertilizer broadcasting because of our our kind of our 4r uh, uh and our interest you know but there are some products like um you know sulfur where it's a, it, you know, you're not worried about um, the green, the, uh, mm -hmm. the effect on global warming and greenhouse gases. It's, it's a stable product. And so we, we do do some surface application of that stuff, that sort. So, so we are getting to the point where there's a gain in efficiency. We can save a, an operator. Um, but how we got into it was that's part of it. The other part is it's just, it's a general interest. So I guess a little bit more background on myself. I, I am actually a, a ag engineer. And, um, in machine design and so is is Doug who works here and that's been how we've kind of been connected with lots of it, of other um, manufacturers in the industry and uh, dot and omni power being one of those so uh, so I guess that between those two things that's how we got involved and uh, yeah it's it's a level of interest of ours but also we see in future opportunity and like to be, you know would like to be part of that process Mm -hmm. Well, and, and I mean, again, the things you mentioned are anytime I have this conversation with somebody, that's one of the, whether it's a company themselves or, or an operator, it's 
that labor question is is um, perennial and uh, growing like a bad weed. So <laughs> I don't. Uh, well, I, yeah. The other the other thing other point to make around autonomy is so when we're when an operator in a machine, we're always focused on well, how quickly can I get this job done so I get onto something else? Because there's mm -hmm. always something else to do, whether it's yeah. more of the same operation or different one. Well, we get into technologies like, um, um, well, there's the green seeker with sprayers or even beyond that, where actually you can recognize certain weeds or differentiate between the crop and the weeds. Well, that processing time for that technology doesn't allow us to go 15 to 20 miles an hour down the field. So if we can have autonomous units that we send off on a mission that take their time and do a better job and use, you know, apply fewer chemicals, but do as, as good a job, or maybe we're doing more passes, but, but uh, um, it's not blanket operations. It's just kind of as needed. Mm -hmm. There's some real uh, gains there. And that comes back to that uh, um, intentional piece and, um, um, you know, being very, you know, same, same as uh, um, um prescription maps for, for seed and fertilizer applications, you know, same kind of thing, different, different way of doing it. But uh, those technologies, if we're processing information on the fly, it might require in the short term anyways, or in the interim to slow down our application speeds to allow for that processing time. Right. But in the end that will save you money and it may help comply to regulations in the future. We don't know where that's all going to go. Yeah, the regulation question, not another another large ball of wax, but yes, the um, I'm sh I'm sure I'm sure our our, our European friends would um, we, we'd have a very colorful conversation when when we focus yes. on those. All right, well let's uh, let's talk about the actual experience. So you said that this past year you've achieved that kind of you're able to operate two things at once. Um, was it? How did, it, how did it go? How did it make you feel? Was it, I, I've heard um, particularly people um, when discussing things that either A, don't have a cab or something that, that has a cab that they can step out of. It's it's a quite a mental, not a mental barrier, but it's a mental jump to be comfortable enough to do that. So where's your comfort level at? How did it work? Any problems you ran into or, you know, everything's a learning process. Just uh, how's the experience overall? Yeah, so it's been a process. The first year was... Uh you know, very bumpy, we'll say, but uh, we've made, like, they've made great strides. Um, so this, my experience this fall, where actually I, I thought, well, I'll just give it a try, see how it goes. We'll do a few acres, you know, pick a block. It, everything kind of came together so well. I, I seeded over 900 acres with two units and it just, it worked great. If I had to step out of the cab for for my, the drill I was operating, I could, I could let um, the Omnipower carry on and then I just adjust its speed so I could stay in, in kind of close proximity so I can still monitor it mm -hmm. both, you know, somewhat visually because um, there's still like, that's the, probably the biggest limitation right now is where does, you know, we've got fixed field boundaries, but they're still working on the, the AI piece where the, where they can bring in perception and understand what, basically what an operator does. Like if I'm going down the field and I see something, an obstacle, whether it's a big rock that, or whether it's actually, uh, um, say a person wandered into the field or somebody drove into the field, right? With their vehicle. Uh, right now, how do you do that autonomously 
and avoid a, a, an accident. And I mean, but on the other hand, I think, well, with auto steer on our conventional equipment and you get distracted doing something else, is the risk any, any more or less, right? Yes, because is, is near autonomy any more dangerous than actual full autonomy? Right. Yeah, exactly. Because full autonomy, the, the things they have to cover off or feel they have to cover off may actually make it uh, in the long run, something um, we'll say safer or, or less risky. Um, you know, the, the machine cannot breach the boundary, right? Um, so if it does, it stops. Whereas, you know, if an operator swings wide and, and swings a spare boom out into the ditch, well, it kills the ditch or whatever. Right. Yeah. Like, so it, it, it <laughs> may know. actually, there's no, we remove the judgment calls from it. Right. But it does mean there's a lot has to happen in the background to make it work well. And so, so yes, through the four years, it's been, uh, stages of, of basically we had to have a dedicated operator on we ran, I guess the Omnipower we ran was a, mostly on a, on a cedar, a 30 foot cedar. So mm-hmm. we're taking an operator that could run a 80 or 90 foot drill and put them on a 30 foot cedar. So we didn't really gain anything there. Um, but we got to learn and we got to help be part of that process and de- development. And then with spraying and spreading, you, you can have equivalent coverage, right? So the, the fertilizer spreader covers the same as a conventional spreader. It's a five ton hopper with uh, spin spreaders. So depending on the product, you can cover up to 90 feet um, in a pass. So you're not, you're not losing anything. And the speed would be maybe not quite as high as the big floaters, but comparable. And same thing with a sprayer, um, your higher speeds, but not quite as high as our, our operated machine or uh, yeah, operated machines. But uh, again, maybe we can do a better job by going slower and, and taking the time to do to just do that better job and uh but again you can have up to a 120 foot boom on the sprayer so pretty pretty common place in western canada so uh yeah i don't know if that answers it but yeah it's um i i guess it, it sounds like you if if somebody in your case you pick those tasks very carefully with the understanding that some of them necessarily aren't going to be an immediate efficiency boon, but if it's say more of a lower, lower hanging fruit thing, like just putting on some dry fertilizer or, or, or spray or something like that, that's a lot different than using a cedar. Um, but that, I mean, you still have to figure out how to use these things. Right. So if, and I know it's like seeding, if you screw up seed or something that screws up during seeding, like that's a, that's a problem, you know, that's, that's a big problem that maybe is yeah. a little more serious than some other things. Right. So um, is, is there, was there a comfort level with, with, the different tasks or was it just kind of a uniform like okay i hope i hope you can get this worked out um without uh without having to go back and make some major corrections or or was there a point where you did have to go back and make a major correction and and why was that the case yeah so running an autonomous drill on a field that is a, a square or a rectangle with no obstacles is pretty straightforward. But as soon as you start throwing in obstacles and having to make judgment calls, especially like this spring, we had, we had a, a, a significant rainfall mid seeding, mm-hmm. mid planting and to run an autonomous drill in those conditions, because you have to pre-plan it all. You have to map it all out. Right. And that's the, that's the stage that I think is going to be the real challenge is, um, it's going to be hard to get people to take that time and feel like it's good use of their time to do that preliminary mapping. Right. So how do you, right. 
how do you make, how do you deal with that part of it? Um, especially with changing obstacles, like, like low wet spots and not, you know, different areas have different issues when it comes to moisture management. But in our area, we have, we have land where it's, when we get rain, we get lots of sloughs in the, in the low spots. And, um, that was a real challenge for us this year with, with autonomy, how to deal with that. Um, Fall seeding is, is generally pretty straightforward because it's generally dry. So it was a good way to kind of tr test the water, so to speak. And so the operation, like the fertilizer application operation is very easy to, to manage. Uh, your boundaries are not as fussy. Um, your, uh, your, you have no physical um, ground engaging tools. So as far as um, you know, obstacles in the field, even power poles, you know, you just have to keep the unit from yeah. inter interacting with it, but you, you don't have to watch every single wheel to make sure the bearings aren't burnt. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so it's, uh, that's probably going to be one of the biggest challenges with getting autonomy into, into ag is, um, how to deal with moving, like changing, uh, obstacles within the field, um, fixed obstacles or fixed obstacle. I mean, power poles, a power pole, it's not moving anywhere. Mm -hmm. And the perimeter is not moving anywhere, but um, so it does require more uh, for forethought and work up front before you can attack tackle a field. So some of the things that 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 are being worked on is, you know, and this is where I think we learned something this fall: pairing a, an autonomous machine with a, a, a manned machine is um, you can you can possibly use the operated machine to draw your boundaries that the autonomous machine then works in while you're doing the app application. So you're not having to take a mm -hmm. separate time to do that. And you can also kind of pick areas. So like this fall, we had a couple of, uh, um, wet areas that kind of flooded out in the spring and had just weed growth in them, not crops. So they never really got harvested. So what I would choose to do this for, they were dry enough to seed this fall is I would just bypass those areas with the autonomous machine and use the, the, the machine I was operating to to seed around or through those areas and kind of make the judgment call. So that's kind of the intermediary with autonomy is is where it becomes kind of a companion unit to so you still have somebody physically on the field making judgment calls, but gaining gaining efficiency through that companion operation. And I like that companion companion unit. I think I'll I'll put uh, I'll highlight that for uh, when I gotta do the written portion of this later. Yeah. Um, well, that's cool. I, I, uh, I'm cognizant of time here. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, I guess, is there a, based on your experiences and, and a lot of what you just said, is there kind of a message that if, if you're talking to somebody that's going to, um, or is interested in these types of things, what would you tell them? Like, what's the elevator speech? I think I would think it would be, you know, you need patience and that time that you put in at the beginning, like what you said earlier, like that's, that may not be immediately obvious of the payoff of what it is, what the time it takes to map, make make a go around all the wet spots and that that sort of thing. Um, is there any other uh, major or any significant thing that you think somebody should know off the bat before they start getting involved and in playing around with one of these machines? And not specifically, not specifically the OmniPower, but just sort of anything that that kind of runs in that in that vein. Yeah, it's, it's. And I'm, I'm asking you because you've been using it for many years. So I'm sure that's all yeah. I imagine. I'm, at, I'm sure I'm not the first person to 
ask you something like this. So, yeah, and I can safely say we've, you know, what we're doing today is is feels like major progress to the first couple of years. But the, uh, the patience is definitely key, and that I mean, I think that the whole industry is going to where there's more thought and prep put in before even um, tackling. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if we're generating prescriptions and, uh, you know, creating seed, uh, specific seed fertility plans for different areas and not just crop specific, it's for areas, right? So soil sampling, right? We're taking soil samples and we're, we're generating our, uh, we, we don't do every field, but we do our general zones of the farm. And from that, we have to decide, you know, every wheat field doesn't necessarily get the same fertility plan, right? So this is just another piece of that where... We have to take that extra time. Um, where that time comes from, if you can do it in, do it in the in the off season, maybe it feels manageable. In the when you're trying to get the job done, it's it's it is hard, right? To mm -hmm. to uh, to take that time, and so that is the challenge. Um, and I that I see the the industry will be will be up against is how to make that a seamless uh, function. Now, one way that I see is that you do you like you. If you can gain efficiency either through human resource or um so we run 90 foot drills so if we were to take and replace one 90 foot drill with three 30 foot drills and have a person monitoring those or four so say four 30 foot drills mm -hmm. if one of them has an issue you're pausing 30 feet you know 33 percent or 25 percent depending on how many units you're managing instead of the whole 90 foot you units right to, to sort out that issue or even to fill it or whatever it is. Um, so does that, is that justify the extra time it takes to set up a field? Possibly. Right. But um, I'm, I'm sure when it happens, it will feel like it does. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like we're, the trouble is we're not, you know, industry's not there yet. And, and I, I think where it's going to end up going before we get to that is, is, creating autonomy and more conventional units where you can flip in and out of autonomy, right? So you, you, you can sit in the cab and operate it. Maybe you drive the perimeter to set your boundary, pick a sprayer. And then if you can set it on an autonomous mission, well, let's pick a spreader because, well, because cases actually come out with that now, right? With, yeah. with one of their units. Yeah, the and so Trident, Trident. Trident, spreader, yeah. Right? yeah. So it's a spreader slash, I think you could put a sprayer unit on it too. So you can go in and, and maybe do all your boundaries of your obstacles, do the perimeter and then send it on the balance, the, you know, to complete the, the, the center, the rest of the field. And then maybe that gives you time to either do some field inspections, go get some, go refill your, your, your product supply, whether it's a dry or, or, or liquid or whatever you're doing so that you can eliminate that operate, you know, requirement in your operation. And, and so, Perhaps that's the interim piece is we take a more conventional machine and be able to, to move it in and out of autonomy as, as, but we're still making, we're still on the ground making that judgment call. Right. And so that'll free up some of that, that prep time that you would need to make otherwise. Awesome. All right on Dustin. I uh, think we can probably leave it there. I uh, really appreciate your time and thanks for having the chat. It's um well, uh, I'll, I'll have to bug you again about this kind of stuff because I'm always looking for, for folks in the West. My, uh, my Ontario-centric brain, um, <laughs> my network out your way is not quite as, quite as, uh, quite as large as it is back home. But uh, yeah, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. No worries. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I hope you got something out of the conversation. 
As ever, the idea is to explore topics, items, and perspectives in the ag tech space. Uh, so if you're interested in sharing your own perspective and joining us for a conversation, feel free to get in touch with the Future Farming team at futurefarming.com. Uh, you can also reach me directly at FurRural on Twitter. That's at F-E-R-R-U-R-A-L on Twitter or via ruralphilosopher.com. Thanks again for listening.